Welcome to session five of season two of Waddle Partners Market Thinkers series. As I've previously, previously said, uh, this series is dedicated to themes uh, and we see themes as one of the most powerful tools to uh, align portfolios to. Every month that Drew and I do an investment committee meeting, the first agenda item is uh, a set of themes and how our portfolio is exposed to those themes. Why are themes important? Obviously, if you had uh, picked some of the largest themes over the last 25 years, your portfolio would have outperformed. And uh, we can we continue to think that. Every week we present a new theme and we have an expert um, to join us. That expert can be from the funds management industry or from industry generally. Today, we have, as usual, first Drew, my business partner, and we have Francine from Franklin Templeton. Welcome, Drew. Welcome, Francine. Thank you. Thanks, Jamie. So, Drew, do you want to, today we're going to talk about uh, e-commerce and, and what e-commerce means in a, as a theme going forward. Do you want to just kick us off and talk about, you know, this is a theme and why we think it's so important? Yeah, I've got some random stats. I'd probably step back first and, and just say that so e-commerce is basically defined as a process of buying anything online. Uh, we probably don't think about it, but our Netflix subscription is technically e-commerce because it's all done digitally, but it can be anything from Amazon, eBay, Kmart, buying Woolworths like we all did, click and collect. Mm. Um, and it's a, a fast growing part of retail sales, which is a big market, but still only small. So I looked at some stats, even in the middle of the pandemic last year, the total portion of online sales in Australia was only something like 12%. Um, yet, according to NASDAQ, so the index provider, something like 95% of all purchases will be e through e-commerce by 2040. It sounds like a long way away, but it seems to come pretty quickly. Um, and I think I updated my numbers. You might have to correct me, Francine, but Chinese... Uh, Retail sales was six trillion, not two trillion, last year, um, and I think e-commerce penetration is a bit higher there. Um, but maybe give us, um, as a starting point, some of your uh, responsibilities and what you focus on at, at Franklin and and why e-commerce is kind of standing out as a trend. Yeah, thanks, Jamie Andrew. Um, I manage the Franklin Global Growth Fund um, alongside Don Huber. Um, and our investment philosophy is really based on, you know, bottom-up stock picking, focusing on the company's um, competitive advantage um, and the business model. And generally, we like companies with, you know, one to three lines of business supported by strong secular growth drivers. And we like those companies with which generates strong free cash flow um, with good management track record of reinvesting those cash flows back into the business for growth. And so typically, you know, we, we tend to sort of have a sweet spot with companies um, with market caps of around five to 50 billion that can grow with us over time. Mm. Um, and secular growth trends are important. Um, in helping to support um, company growth over the long term. Um, and in some ways, we think, you know, protects our portfolio from some of those macro and exogenous, you know, shocks, which are really out of our control. So, you know, then we're able to sort of gain conviction in the name and confidence that these companies will continue to grow over time. And by, so by secular, you mean it's just almost structural change that's occurring. So the move to, to online compared to cyclical, which is like a short-term boost in mask sales, for instance. Co correct. I mean, you, you could argue in some <laughs> ways with everyone staying at home last year, you know, or, you know, the online adoption 
may have been to a certain extent cyclical, right? So we're not looking for, you know, what happened last year to sort of continue um, going forward, but, you know, some moderation of that. But effectively, you know, with everyone locked down, everyone's more sort of familiar with the online process. And so we think that will continue as a long-term trend going forward. It's interesting that uh, e-commerce is a theme. We've probably talked about it for 15 years of, you know, and it was the old, now bankrupt D store or was it called D store? You know the first type of elements of e-commerce, but it's and given your process, I suppose you wouldn't. It's it's really a DNA of a company now to be able mm. to leverage e-commerce. You know, no one really thinks about creating a product and then distributing it just through bricks and mortar. You know, they all have a digital strategy. They all have an e-commerce strategy. Um, yeah, I mean, really, it's. I think for retailers in particular, it's about sort of their unique selling point, and the e-commerce is just another channel in terms of getting their product out there. Um, and so, you know, it it actually has different, you know, structural um, cost space, mm. um, such that you know the margins can vary. Um, it's not as easy as just setting up shop, you need to sort of engage the customer more in terms of, you know, the promotions, how do you reach them? How do you keep them coming back? Um, you know, that's all part of the e-commerce game. It's interesting. We'll, um, in another session, we're going to talk about uh, supercomputing. And, you know, as technology increases, so does the ability to uh, for e-commerce. And Drew mentioned before, and this is, you know, not scripted, but Netflix. So when Netflix originally started, it was, you know, postal videos yeah. um, to your home or DVDs, maybe not videos, <laughs> DVDs to your home. You had them for a week and then you put them back in the post and sent them back. And that was how, you know, Netflix started. It was only that the ability to download a whole movie. Remember, it used to take three or four hours to download a movie. Uh, you can down a mo download a, a movie. Um, and, and Netflix wasn't a possible business until recently. So, you know, e-commerce yeah. is moving so greatly. And you'd probably say e-commerce originally was, uh, sorry, Netflix originally was an e-commerce business because you had to jump online to, to get your post and get your delivery, where now it's obviously all delivered online. So as, as technology- the money comes out of your account automatically. <laughs> <laughs> sure, about nine of them, you know, there's Apple and- <laughs> Foxtel, Foxtel, they killed Foxtel, didn't they? So. We had some warm up questions to go through too, didn't we? Yep. Should we share those? Uh, I think the first one was which, for Francine, which e-commerce market is the largest in the world? for 2020 uh, i guess yeah china um about 672 billion um in terms of e-commerce sales so on last yeah. year so <laughs> on, on what was it six trillion that's only 10 percent of it is is e-commerce oh, well that, the trillion um i think actually when you went back the, the yeah i think that must be in a different currency because <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because this, yes, seven, it's definitely 672 billion US dollars. Um, and then the total worldwide is 4 trillion um, in terms of, um, in terms of the, 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 have I got e those numbers e right? Yeah, e that's right. Yeah. yeah. And which one is the fastest growing market? 
China um, as well? Well, actually, I'd have to say Latin America or Indonesia. They've mm. grown really, you know, quickly over this period, um, mainly because penetration is still very low as a percentage of total retail sales. Yep. So, yeah, it, it had been uh, pre-COVID, actually, the Chinese market was kind of moderating um, to the extent that... Um, you know, there was a lot more competition amongst the players, um, you know, and it had been well penetrated. And next we have what's the predicted or forecast level of e-commerce sales in 2030. So it's kind of sitting on what's the growth rate we're expecting over the next decade. Yeah. So I'd say in terms of e-commerce itself, um, we're probably looking at a CAGR of 15% overall on a global basis. Obviously, uh, with different penetration rates, um, those will vary across different countries. But I've seen forecasts of actually um, 6.5 trillion for 2024 in terms of e-commerce itself. And this is X, you know, the streaming and the media type stuff, but it's just pure sort of online, you know, shopping. Consumer goods, um, yeah. Exactly. Um, and so that is, you know... Uh, to be around 22% of total retail sales, which are about 30 trillion. So if you continue to grow that out, you know, that sort of at those levels uh, by 2030, we'll probably hit 10 trillion over time, which will probably be around, around 30% of retail sales. Excellent. And the most popular type of e-commerce sale outside of the, the Netflixes and the and the automatic deductions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's still consumer goods. I mean, I guess, you know, over this time period and in China, they've sort of morphed into sort of fresh fruit delivery as well as Amazon um, and grocery spend and things like that. But, um, you know, fashion and apparel, um, electronics, personal care, beauty still, still are out there as, you know, um, the ones that still have the opportunity to sort of penetrate further. And the biggest e-commerce sales event of 2020 or history, probably, if it was 2020, so. Yeah, well, his, history, it was probably Singles Day, but they it, it was quite interesting because Singles Day used to be just on the 11th of November and um, in China, and it was just that one day. But over the last year, they sort of extended it to the whole week. But in the US, it's still pretty much, you know, and globally, probably, you know, Cyber Monday, um, you know, it's the largest by the average order value, by um, gross merchandise value. But, um, you know, Black Friday is still the, the biggest one in terms of transactions, number of transactions. Excellent. Right. And when you look at, so your fund uh, is more a, a mid-cap, global mid-cap fund. But mm -hmm. when we think about e-commerce, we think about, well, I think about the majors like, you know, eBay and Amazon. Yeah. What's your opportunity set in that mid-cap range? Is it is it in the e-commerce space? There's quite a few names actually um, below those sort of mega caps. Um, although having said that, Shopify is probably <laughs> termed as a mega cap these days. But yeah. you know, when we first started looking at it, it was you know a very small sort of company. Um, there are you know there's lots of new names that have been listed. Even in the last week, you had uh, Kapang you know in South Korea listed, um, which is the largest sort of e-commerce platform in in South Korea. Yeah. Um, so there's there's many, many opportunities, I think, if we sort of go further down the market cap spectrum. Um, and many of those names, um, you know, it, it's not about growth for growth sakes, in our view, but really trying to sort of find those names, um, which play in that um, area, which has a sort of sustainable competitive advantage. And I guess that's, 
in a way why we like Shopify because Shopify is one of those names where, you know, it started late in the process. It was, you know, didn't sort of, it was sort of a company which basically uh, facilitated, you know, small, medium-sized businesses to help them come come online. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, it's built this great um, platform mm-hmm. whereby it's sort of facilitating every single need that, um, in order to run a business online and also offline. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's lots of opportunities in that sort of mid-cap range. Is that because if you think about traditional retailing, um, there's probably more barriers to entry. You know, you need to get into if you need to get into the majors to be able to distribute your product, or you need to have your own chain of stores. Where essentially e-commerce, if you've got a competitive product, you yeah, know, you can buy a website and build a website relatively cheaply to distribute your product. There's lots of options now for the back end in terms of how you fulfill that product. Yep. Um, obviously, it, it's more now about um, uh, your your share of Google and search engines and, you know, consumer engagement. Um, so it's yep. changed slightly, but still very similar. You know, you still have to get the consumer's um, interest and buy-in, but essentially it allows for more companies to compete with the majors than it did before. Sure. I mean, yeah, definitely the cross, uh, the cross structure is different. Um, like you said, you know, you don't need sort of, you know, a ton of money to sort of, you know, pay and find space and, you know, pay that rental. Um, so it's very easy. I mean, for Shopify, for, uh, in terms of the entrepreneur sort of basic package, yeah, you can spend $29 a month and open up a shop. So, you know, those barriers have definitely been been sort of brought down. Um, and, it, you know, and the shelf space, which used to be, you know, limited to, I guess, if you're a consumer packaging good, you know, um, getting into Woolies or Coles or, you know, what have you, um, that has been, you know, diminished to a certain extent. Um, still, still an important channel, but, um, you know, in terms of the online piece, it's very easy to sort of open up shop and then I guess in terms of just going back to the cost structure again more costs now are spent on as you say you know google adwords um keywords you know search algorithms and things like that as well as you know sales and marketing spend in terms of promotions tapping into instagram tapping into you know Mm -hmm. facebook or what have you so that's sort of the higher cost element um in terms of an e-commerce business model as well as fulfillment go through are those sort of verticals seeing similar growth? You know, you're talking about digital advertising. We've done a session on that, I think. Right. Is it logistics? Buy now. We don't want to talk about afterpay, but buy now, pay later. Is that <laughs> kind of a theme you're seeing? You're talking about Shopfront, so Shopify that you just basically install on a website almost. Digital yeah. payments, are they all the verticals or a few more? Yep. Yeah. I mean, they are sort of seeing growth um, emanating from this sort of, you know, e-commerce shift. Um, I have to say that um, in terms of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really all to sort of keep the stickiness of the customer. So reduce the friction on the platform or, you know, of, of you know, that e-commerce sort of experience. And so they are sort of all seeing, you know, good growth. Um, you know, we've sort of seen, as you mentioned, all these, you know, payment models being offered on these e-commerce platforms Um, and really it's about you know customer choice because I think one of the things you know 
again, for, for e- an e-commerce business is about sort of extending the stock keeping units, the SKU or the range of product that you have. Um, you know, it used to be limited by how much you could fill a shop with. Uh, but now it's, you know, that has actually dramatically increased um, to the extent that, you know, a lot of the marketplaces have had to sort of grow, you know, different verticals or different categories of business in order to sort of keep this, you know, consumer coming back. Isn't that drop shipping is pretty popular in um, Australia at the moment? We've had some issues lately. <laughs> exactly. Basically, yeah. you ship straight from somewhere. You buy it online, it ships straight from somewhere else, and they don't necessarily know exactly when it's arriving. And yeah. is it is it so far all the attention is paid on you know B two C business to consumer? Is business to business growing? Is that even even faster, or is it? It is. I mean, I, I guess you could classify, you know, Shopify as a B2B to the extent that, you know, you've got this sort of shopfront platform that you're selling to merchants. Yeah. And actually, you know, how they earn their revenue is actually getting up the value chain uh, in terms of, you know, the, the, the merchant paying more for the services that they provide. So, um, you know, so, so very much so. I think there has been, you know, you know it, it is interesting. I mean, e-commerce started, you know, uh, back when the internet was available, um, you know, Amazon obviously um, started with the books. Books were easiest to sell. You know, you didn't have sort of huge return hurdles or anything like that. You knew the book that you wanted, you searched for it and you just bought it. Um, so, you know, it's sort of morphed now into sort of, you know, even clothes, shoes and everything are bought online. And, um, you know, it, it's sort of more from the, you know, the consumer to consumer business to now, you know, B2C, B2B, uh, which is business to consumer um, and business to business. So, it, it, you know, I think there's still um, lots of runway for growth in the area. What about risk? Does uh, a, a company that engages with uh, an e-commerce strategy have more or less risk um, than, say, a, a traditional bricks and mortar type retailer that, doesn't use e-commerce i think it's probably um a similar risk right because even if you have the channel in place um you know if you don't have a product that people want to buy (laughs) it's it's not going to be successful but i mean but yeah understood i mean in terms of you know the upfront costs um you know you you kind of need to sort of see that curve where you, you it's a huge outlay for that sort of initial shop front that you have you know the physical shop front that you have and so you need yeah it's cheaper you can get a worldwide audience really easily exactly Um, potentially fulfillment can be outsourced and no one really knows yeah yeah it's interesting how many companies have not not done this well though you know with the this e-commerce push has been around for a long period of time and Mm. you know if i listen my wife loves shopping um (laughs) like all wives love shopping and you're here you're trying to buy products from large established brands and what their e-commerce strategy is versus you know say a net a porter that was mm. built around being an e-commerce business and have done it phenomenally well the big branded you know david jones can't even can't keep up versus what yeah. net a porter is doing from a startup perspective yeah no that's true i mean net a porter you know had carved itself a very good niche business and actually had um i mean one of the things in luxury and i would class that as luxury so i'm so sure net a porter yeah, net a, <laughs> but it's, you know, is that they've actually built very good, you know, supply chain and actually relationships with the suppliers, you know, the big 
brands out there in order to to mm. to sell to the consumer and i would say that actually luxury is probably one of the areas which have been lagging in terms of e-commerce because they mm. still want to control that customer experience sure. and if you know if you're going to throw you know a couple of thousand dollars on a on a handbag Hopefully. you know you certainly want to know what the feel is and the touch so i do think there are some still frictional and trust issues especially when you sort of look across emerging markets in terms of e-commerce um, as to you know how comfortable people are in terms of you know clicking and then ensuring that they receive the the right product and an authentic product, you know, sure. at the other side. So all those traditional elements are really important, like um, customer experience. You know, if we're using Net-a-Porter as an example, you, mm-hmm. get, you get it delivered in a, you know, beautiful box um, that you un- unwrap and, you know, you part, you participate in that experience. And if you've got an issue, there's no, never any issue in refunding it or returning it. You know, they've right. thought about it where I suppose if you looked at some of uh, the, the the things that do arrive at home, they're in a you know, scraggly bag and, you know, the shirt that you paid $35 for is screwed up in a, you know, and it's not, it's not a great customer. Maybe I'm only paying 35 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm paying $100, you know, versus going to a store, having the experience, getting this lovely shirt, putting my bag, you know, that's an experience. But some groups have gone, I'll go e-commerce, but, not necessarily think about the end customer and the experience they have. So all those traditional yeah. things are really important in e-commerce as well. Yeah. I think. yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's different metrics that you look at for e-commerce. I suppose you look at conversion. A lot of people can browse. There's a lot of, you know, carts which get abandoned, um, you know, and the sales not sort of click through. There's also return rates, which as you mentioned, you know, can be much higher in, in the e-commerce, you know, side of things versus if you went into DJs and you bought something, you you know, you would have tried it on, you'd have ensured that it fit properly. Um, and, you know, the return rates would be sort of lower. Yeah, they've I mean, talked that's about, a major yeah. problem, isn't it? The, the returns and how do you unpack individual items and then restock them into a, you know, into a warehouse and make that work. And you've heard, you know, stories or rumours where returns are just, you know, donated or thrown yeah. out. People buy three and then return two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, by each size. Yeah. I was maybe expanding on that uh, conversion and checkout. I think e-commerce, the main reason seems to be for convenience. You can get it delivered quickly. You can order it. I, I think I ordered something for my son while I was at brunch or <laughs> breakfast the other day. <laughs> What's the, so on Shopify, is there, are they, when people install that for their store, are they converting more? Are they, are they getting more revenue? Um, in terms of Shopify itself, I mean, the service in which it provides is, you know, based around the data analytics. Um, it's also based on, um, I guess, the the actual, um, you know, the, the promotions, the, the fact that you can sort of plug into, you know, with one sort of platform, you can plug into, you know, Facebook, Instagram, um, you know, wherever else you want to sell. Um, it can also help you manage your inventory. So whether or not, you know, you're sort of moving from a, um, you know, offline to an online um, space, you know, they have sort of the POS systems in place there. So you could track that as well, um, as well as fulfillment. So they've over the last, you know, maybe 18 months or so now, um, I think it was, well, actually it was in June last year. I think they sort of announced that they were going to build out a fulfillment network working with partners, um, which essentially is sort of a, um, 
CapEx light way of doing it. Um, you know, they have partners to sort of help deliver the goods, get from A to B, help their merchants, and they can sort of bargain or, you know, um, get scale, um, you know, efficiencies, um, you know, related to that as more and more of their merchants, you know, use their sort of fulfillment network. And so, you know, there's a lot of um, benefits to actually, you know, paying um, for their sort of, you know, platform services. Um, you know, I guess one of the one of the larger sort of um, websites out there, which would have done really well over the last year, is jbhifi.com.au. Uh, um, so their website's actually powered by Shopify, um, and they're one of the sort of the larger end clients. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so Shopify's really, you know, grown from. You know, they've got products which basically start from the entrepreneur level. You know, like for example, during election time, if you wanted to get a Trump hat or a Biden hat, you can set up shop and that's $29, you know, dollars per month. And then you've got the sort of big end where you've got $2,000, you know, dollars um, per month, you know, that you're paying for full sort of end-to-end, you know, value-added service. And I was, so are they the ones that automate the, um, uh, you know, when you leave something in your cart and you get the emails and then the Instagram posts yeah, that say, have... <laughs> do you like these shoes? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of the personalization impact. Yeah. So that's a nut, yeah, for, for you. So I think that's part of the sort of, um, you know, the, the Shopify's, you know, software platform where they can sort of tell you that kind of data or give yeah. you those data points. They're making, yeah, making the jobs of retailers much, much easier, aren't they? They're providing benefits and then they can obviously increase their fee. And they've got, so they've only got something like 8% of online market market share at the moment. Is that accurate or is that probably, it's probably fast moving? Um, it's probably, so? yeah, it's probably, yeah, it is fast moving actually. It's quite interesting because their gross merchandise uh, value actually increased hundred percent in the fourth quarter last year. So it was definitely a very big year for them. Um, they also hit profitability a lot earlier than we, we thought they would. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're actually making good margin at the moment as well, despite, you know, I guess um, the investments that they're making into sort of the fulfillment network. Um, so, you know, they're still very small in the scheme of things. Um, and also, if you look at um, the revenue that's earned from um, just being on the Amazon retail platform versus using Shopify, um, it's still low relative to that in terms of what merchants are paying. Um, and so, you know, there's still opportunity for them to sort of expand that, um, sure. you know, revenue streams. Yeah, they've got a lot of tailwinds, haven't they? So the piece of pie is, is getting bigger and their percentage is getting bigger and then you know what you can charge because it's really a membership type um uh, uh revenue scheme then they're able to leverage that as well so yeah yeah no that's great but yeah i mean i guess you know i mean e-commerce is, has its own sort of flavors in in different countries as well you know if you think about how china's developed and how the us has developed um, they've come from different paths and in a way, you know, like Alibaba obviously um, mm. is, the, is the big one in, in China um, and, you know, they only started in 99, um, but that's not to say there's not disruptors. So you were talking before about, you know, mid-cap companies and new companies challenging the incumbents. Well, you know, Pinduoduo, which is sort of a group buying social media kind of um, e-commerce, 
e-commerce app, um, you know, only started in 2015 and, and now it's challenging, you know, both uh, Tmall and, and JD.com for, you know, the, you know, the number one position in e-commerce in China. So, Is that right? yeah, so it has, you know, there are sort of opportunities and, you know, you know, there are sort of oftentimes disruptors come along and, you know, just change the landscape slightly. Is fulfillment kind of the, the big issue at the moment? It's like somewhere for Australia, like Australia, it seems to be very difficult to get same day delivery, but yes. in big cities and in the US, there were, I looked at some stats that there were like 65% of Americans are within, you know, a couple yeah. of kilometers of a fulfillment, Amazon fulfillment center. Is yeah. that kind of part of the big drivers of it? We of heard the... about that in China too, didn't we? The, the delivery was within an hour of, um, chemist products if so. someone said yeah they were on the train they'd order toothpaste and a toothbrush while they were traveling into shanghai or something it'd be there when they arrived yes uh, yeah no the logistics is amazing um and they've managed to do that quite well in in china and also in a in in the u.s um in australia yes i agree it's probably a bit more challenged <laughs> although sydney, amazon a, are you in sydney <laughs> i am that'd be i couldn't imagine it in sydney ever <laughs> Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it, yeah, it hasn't quite, you know, had the same investment, I guess, in terms of, you know, being able sort of to do that. But also I think, um, you know, I think there's a plus and a minus in terms of um, training your consumer base to expect that, you know, next hour delivery <laughs> or same day delivery uh, because it, it, it does mean incremental costs, um, you know, for the system. And, and you know, that's always, or, or reinvestment into, you know, those, to, to reduce those, you know, frictional sort of elements of, of purchasing online. Um, and so that does, and it can make sort of e-commerce margins uh, less attractive than say, you know, your brick, bricks and mortar, because so much is being, you know, invested into the, the logistics side of the business. So I think you have to be smart, um, you know, if you're running sort of e-commerce business to sort of um, try and do it in a capex light manner. Yeah, I can see some brands you order it and it leaves the warehouse at the same time. So they've obviously put it to Australia Post in a, some sort of warehouse, but other ones it takes you seven days before you get yeah. a confirmation or anything. So Yeah, um, yeah. So maybe a good time to pivot to kind of the, the nuance in different, areas so one of the i know one of the long-term holdings and one of the drivers has been mercado yeah ebre um with the biggest e-commerce player in latin america or south america yeah america (laughs) could you kind of expand on on what they do how they operate and i think you said that that was a far one of the fastest growing e-commerce markets in the world as well yeah i mean E-commerce to retail sales is uh, still very low in Latin America. It's probably tracking at around four to five percent. And if we compare that to, you know, like China's probably you know twenty five percent. Australia, as you mentioned, you know, in the opening comments, was you know around twelve, um, and the US is probably around twenty one. Um, you know, and similarly with 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 the UK around you know those type of levels. Mm. So there's a lot of runway for growth, and I think. Um, the, the interesting thing is that Mercado Libre actually, when it first started, was just a listing, sort of a classified listings model, um, you know, sort of uh, like a gum tree or, you know, just connecting people, you know, C to C, consumer to consumer, buying and selling. Um, and since then, they've sort of morphed into a, an ecosystem whereby, you know, they realized early on that there were frictional costs 
in the fact that a lot of the population was underbanked or unbanked. Um, and so basically they decided to sort of um, create Mercado Pago, which is actually uh, an e-commerce wallet that people can fund through going to, you know, your local 7-Eleven or, you know, you just put, you go to the 7-Eleven, you put cash into your Mercado Pago wallet, and then you can sort of jump online and, and basically, you know, purchase uh, goods. And so, you know, they started doing that early on. Um, they also had, um, they also have now sort of um, built out an ecosystem uh, similar to the way in Shopify, the way in which Shopify has done it, very capex light, using partners in order to leverage their scale and footprint in order to sort of give better prices to the merchants to, to sort of um, fulfill that sort of delivery need. Um, and so as a result of that, um, you know, they've been able to sort of grow um, as the market has grown in terms of increasing um, e-commerce adoption, but also in terms of um, growing their merchant base and also um, the payment. So if we look at Mercado Pago now, when it first started, you know, 10 years ago, we were talking about, oh, how penetrated um, was Mercado Pago on the Mercado Libre platform? Mm. Um, these days, it's actually earning, well, processing more payments off the platform than it is on the platform. No, so right. similar to, you know, when PayPal, PayPal actually started on e eBay, and then PayPal, you know, eBay was a small percentage of, of, of PayPal, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, because PayPal had been adopted by so many other sort of mm. businesses out there. So and I think, financial that, too. yeah, so I think um, that's right. And so it's been, um, we still think there's a lot of run, runway for growth there. They're obviously, they're going through an investment phase at the moment where they're still building out the network, mm. um, you know, they're in terms of the fulfillment side of things. Um, but, you know, they are sort of rolling out, you know, a lot of those POS systems. Um, so sort of like, you know, just a tablet where, you know, people can sort of use their POS systems, um, you know, um, offline, as well as, you know, just um, growing their merchant based um, online. You've got a really good chart I've seen in some of your presentations. It shows the beginning market cap of a couple of these businesses. So the value yes. when you bought them and the value now. Can you, for Shopify and Macaque, have you got them off the top of your head? Or yeah, I think recently? they were both about, so our sort of, we generally look at names, you know, at about 2 billion market cap as a starting base. Mm. Um, that's the lowest that we'll go, um, mainly because, you know, um, for liquidity reasons as well. But in terms of um, Mercado Libre, we bought that when it was on the cusp of, of 2 billion. And um, same with Shopify, uh, you know, around sort of the two to 5 billion mark. And they're both now, you know, mega, well, I think um, Mercado Libre is about 70, 80 billion um, and Shopify is around 140 billion. So we've, wow. yeah, it's been, um, They've both been great names. We continue to like the stories, mainly because, you know, we think the penetration levels are still fairly, you know, low. And, you know, I think that the Shopify, um, you know, platform and software is, has done really well and they've just continued to grow their ecosystem. Um, they've got a good quality product out there that they'll be able to sort of continue to sort of reap benefits from. Is that a good number, the 2 to $5 billion in terms of market cap? because the business is kind of established, they have a bit of governance, they've kind of showed 
shown potentially they have got a competitive advantage or they're a disruptor or it's a nice concept and roughly they get a market cap of two to five? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we generally don't go lower than the sort of the two billion US dollar market cap, um, mainly because we like to sort of see, as you mentioned, um, you know, there are a lot of teething problems as companies sort of scale up. Um, and, you know, in terms of governance, we, we pay very, you know, strong attention to governance and, and how management teams are incentivized in terms of, you know, how they get paid. So it's not growth for growth's sake, but, you know, with an eye on profitability and, and free cash flow generation. Um, so it really is, you know, it's sort of, it's growing up, you know, but it's not quite there yet. And we still see opportunities for them to sort of do that. And then, you know, there's of, often times when these companies are sort of trying to sort of scale, you know, there's missteps. Um, and so you sort of need to sort of look at that and, and, and sort of understand, you know, management strategy and they have to have a sort of coherent strategy as to how, um, you know, they want to grow their business and, 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 and how they, you know, could, can do that over time. Yeah, it's flexible probably, to pivot. Yes. Probably probably I'm sure second, that, yeah. Sorry, Drew. Second That's generation right. of um, management as well. Yeah, some are still founder-led, but they get different people yeah. around them that understand that now this has gone from a kind of startup culture to more, you know, a, a maturing or fast-growing business culture. And yes. typically you need to change both the... The, the the board in a way and also you know the the exec you know there is a few founder led from zero to to a hundred billion but <laughs> typically that's not the case and yes. it is the case lots of people within that org has changed yes yeah yeah i mean definitely having the right people um you know in the team um you can sort of sort of see a lot of these e-commerce names you know they start to get more you know ctos in place um, um, you know, chief technology officers, product officers, marketing officers, um, you know, to sort of round out the capability set. Um, you know, having said that, you know, we quite like, I mean, the fact that Tobias um, is still, you know, the CEO of, mm. of Shopify and um, Galperin is still the, the CEO of, of Mercado Libre because right, we know yeah. that well they're both invested, you know, and it's their baby and, um you know, that, you know, a lot of their wealth is invested in the stock as well. So it's, we've, we, we feel that, you know, we're quite aligned from that point of view. They probably didn't expect to be the new Western Union, did they? But they <laughs> kind of became it, you know, yeah. being able to pivot and, and yeah, change direction. Now they're a payments company, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, yes. They're both. I mean, there is still, you know, growth opportunities for, for Mercado Libre, you know, there's still, if you think about the ad load that we sort of see on our websites, um, you know, Latin America is not as high as yet in terms of advertising dollars on websites. Um, so there's opportunities there. Um, there's also opportunities for, yeah, as, as you know, financing, um, you know, whether or not it, and, and also the distribution of, um, you know, cash management products, I suppose, um, you know, because a lot of the, um, the money that sits within the Mercado Pago wallet can be invested. They, they beat off Amazon in Latin America. That's the story. Um, is that because people tend to trust kind of these homegrown brands similar to like Tmall or something in China? Is that, does that seem to be why Bunnings, Bunnings, Bunnings in Australia? Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I, w- I would actually say that it's a combination of things, actually, uh, in terms of how successful they've been relative to Amazon. Amazon is there, but they haven't invested as much money. Uh, number one, really, because Brazil is actually quite a difficult market in terms of logistics. Um, you know, the land is quite undulating. Um, it's really quite uh, hard. The roads are not well established. Mm. So the, from a logistical perspective, it's quite challenged. Um, so Amazon hasn't sort of really, they'd have to spend a lot of money to sort of get the same day delivery. And so they haven't really spent as much money there. There are also lots of customs and tax issues for bringing um, international goods, cross-border transactions mm. um, into Brazil. And so that kind of was a hurdle as well for for. Um, Amazon coming in in a big way. Um, They are in places like Mexico where it's probably easier. Um, Also from a logistical point of view, you know, Mexico is probably better as well. Um, And so they're in those type of markets. But, you know, I guess given how formidable Amazon has been, you know, globally, it's still the big elephant in the room. And so I think, um, you know, Mercado Libre is always looking over their shoulder to ensure that they've got that competitive advantage and it can be sustained, you know, going forward, um, mainly because, you know, they think Amazon's always a threat. So um, it's, it's a good thing. <laughs> what about e-commerce um, in India? Is, right. Do, do you know much about that? Is it, it seems to be a lot of people, it's developing quickly. Yeah. Um, is, it, is it a trend yet or it will be a trend or...? Yeah, I haven't looked um, closely um, in terms of the um, Indian market, but, you know, Flipkart, obviously, that was, you know, acquired recently. So it's obviously um, a market in which there's a lot of opportunity. Um, But again, I think logistically it could be challenged as well. (laughs) Um, So it is, you know, and and also there is a huge, again, an unbanked population there. And so there's there's lots of movements on that sort of digital payments piece because, I mean, we do own a bank called HDFC. Uh, which yeah. has a good digital sort of banking proposition in in India, and yeah. so we're sort of looking at it, you know, from from that angle. Um, whereas I think there's a lot of money to be spent in the Indian market in terms of e-commerce that um, would be harder to sort of get returns from. So we, we've sure. gone so, through, and our exposure to India is through a bank. Doesn't Reliance own everything anyway? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Perfect example for investors is that you, know, you need a bank community to be able to then do e-commerce. You, know, you nearly need, you need an access point, don't you? And we take access points for granted. You know, we've all got 12 devices each. We're always constantly <laughs> linked to each other. And, you know, the payment programs are linked to either through PayPal or credit card or whatever. It makes yeah. it really simplistic um, for what we do. But, you know, if you're talking about unbanked populations, you know, still dealing in cash it's uh and maybe even post office addresses is hard you know yeah adaption's not going to be for a while it will it will happen just just when so yeah no it probably shows the importance of getting you know the theme you can get the theme right but you have to find the right way to play it in each country as well which would be what all your focus is on you know if it's the wrong company, you can lose money. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of nuances and, you know, certainly, um, you know, it is, it is, you know, there's a lot of opportunity, but there's a lot of nuances in each of the markets. Um, You know, in Indonesia, that's an interesting market because, you know, everyone has a smartphone, but, you know, at the same time, 
you know, there's lots of opportunity there for, for e-commerce. Um, but at the same time, you know, there, there is, again, logistical challenges there, um, as well as, you know, the market has sort of gone in with like um, subsidized shipping um, to sort of reduce that frictional cost of, you know, delivery uh, to the consumer. But, you know, it's, it's difficult to see, you know, how that sort of subsidy, when that subsidy comes off, you know, how, how sort of interested consumers will be to sort of keep purchasing um, in a repeated way. Um, and also uh, whether or not the, the companies who are playing in playing that game in Indonesia, whether or not they continue to grow if they sort of take those subsidies off. So um, we're watching that one carefully, but um, still very, you know, in the early stages. So each region's got kind of got a, you said nuances, but it's mm -hmm. got different strategy. I assume various sectors, if you look at it that way rather than that way, sectors their adaption of e-commerce is substantially different as well so if you take someone like media all the way down to i think you've provided a nice chart so media the adaption of e-commerce and media has been huge but something in healthcare is still still early days so there's plenty to go in this kind of e-commerce theme do you think yeah, I think, you know, technology is definitely touching, you know, a lot of industries in, in, in many ways. So I do think there are sort of, um, you know, opportunities along the different uh, industries and verticals um, that are to be had. Um, and, and the key is really just trying to understand which companies have the, you know, best economics um, so that we can sort of participate, you know, in that sort of secular growth. Great. We might um, wrap up, Francine. Uh, yeah. Obviously, a really important sector, uh, and you've got, given us some great insights into just not the sector or the theme, but also some stocks to think about. Um, on behalf of Drew and I, thanks for participating. Thanks for being a portfolio manager in uh, one of our most successful investments <laughs> over the last uh, two years. Um, you know, you're a part of our core portfolio, especially at mid. That's great. mid mid cap portfolio and uh our experience has been great um between you and don um just the way that you uh, open and and engage with us um we appreciate a lot so thanks for your time thanks drew no, until thanks, the next one cheers thank you very much thank you thanks for all your support guys it's it's been great